If you'll open your Bibles to Romans, the first chapter this morning, once more as we deal with the great opening of Paul, the great introduction to this tremendous epistle of redemption that talks to us of the great sovereignty of our God in his plan of redemption. It was not of man. Man would never have chosen the way God did for the plan of redemption. Man would certainly have had a system of works. Man would have had a heaven that was filled with people of his own ethnic group or his own culture. Man would have had a heaven with the people who had scintillating conversation to share with him. Uh, Man would have had a heaven where he can enjoy himself to the extreme without any thought of any judgment. But the heaven that uh, God has for his own is that which was sovereignly planned by the creator of the universe. And so the joy of our hearts as Christians who really know Christ, and as I've said, if you know Christ, you have no doubt about it. The person who has doubts doesn't know Jesus. I'm talking now salvation. I'm not talking of doubts in other areas. I'm not talking about the problems of life. I'm not talking, although it distresses me sometimes when someone says, I don't know why this thing happened to me. (laughs) Well, it could happen to others too, you know. I I was to the doctors the other day and the doctor said to me, uh, he said, my mother is 86. And he said, for the first time in her life, she's really ill. And she said to me, how could this happen to me? But no matter what age it is, it's always the same. You know, how could this thing happen to me? And there should be one place where we have absolutely no doubt. And that is concerning the fact that you are cleansed from sin. That the gospel of God that Paul is speaking about here in the first seven verses of the first chapter of Romans is the gospel of God's dear son. It's the gospel that tells us the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners just like you and like me. And that once we've really believed this great essential doctrine of the faith, We are the redeemed of the Lord. Remember the portion we read this morning? How shall they believe unless they hear? And how shall they hear except the preacher be sent? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that God reaches down from heaven and sovereignly puts his hand down reaches down to the seeking soul and together the great sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man which is a great mystery remember a great mystery are joined together there is no trying to explain it God is sovereign and yet God puts a responsibility upon man 
and they are joined together at the cross of Jesus Christ. That responsibility of man and the sovereign will of God. That God in his sovereignty knows every soul that shall be saved is never to stop you from evangelizing. God knows it, but you don't. Very, very important. Otherwise, all evangelistic effort would cease. God knows every single soul elect that belong to him. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. God spoke to me personally and cleansed me in the blood of his precious son, and my name was written there. It's like I've said so often, it's as though you walk in the door of the church, that back door there, and you look up to the front, and I have a sign up here, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And I preach the word of God, I give the invitation, and as I give the invitation, your hand just goes up and you rejoice that you've believed on Jesus Christ. And you think it's something that just happened in that instant of time. But then as you're leaving the service, you turn around and you go toward the back of the church and I have another sign over the back door. And the sign over the back door says, chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. Great, tremendous truth and mystery of God. You came in and you were redeemed and you walk out and you say, I didn't know it. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundations of the world. You see? So God brings together the two. You see? Glorious so, gloriously so, in this great mystery of his divine sovereignty and the responsibility of man, he brings together the two at the cross of Christ. And though he knows this is not into any way affect us, it does not mean that God facetiously directs this one goes to hell and this one goes to heaven. What it is saying is God knows because he is God, the Alpha and the Omega, the end from the beginning. And in that knowledge, he knows from before this world was ever formed that my name would be written in the Blam's Book of Life. And I went for over 40 years, nearly 40 years of my own personal life, never knowing that my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but God knew it. Then he watched the pathway of Martin Gian all the way down. And he knew the very day and the moment when I would say, Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord, I've had religion, I've had it all. I've had all sorts of activities in my life toward you, altar boy, all of these things. And I thought they were the things that were bringing me close. But now I see it's the very person of Jesus and him alone that can cleanse from sin. He's my only high priest. And I receive him as my Savior. Wonderful, gracious God. Let it never confuse us, you see. But let us rejoice that he looks down and he knows everything from the beginning to the end. We do not. And so we go on preaching the word of God. For how shall they hear except a preacher be sent? Now I'll read a portion here because the Lord Jesus is a, 
very unique man, as I said last week, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Perfect. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, that's the message of the gospel of God, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we just ask thee now to open our hearts to the word. We're so thankful, Lord, for all that it has to say to us. Father, when we think of a book like Romans, it would take a man a lifetime and then he would not have exhausted it for all that it has to say to our hearts. And it's always fresh and new and vital. There's never such a thing, Father, we know as reading through an epistle once and saying, I know it now. For every time we come back to it, it opens up its pages anew to us. And it is all fresh and glorious as the Holy Spirit reveals to us new facets of our precious Savior. Jesus Christ. Now, Father, bless us this morning as we look into thy precious word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Lord Jesus was a very unique man in this world, but his uniqueness was not in the brilliance of his intellect. It was not his tyrannical dominion over all men or those around him like a great dictator. On the contrary, the Lord Jesus did everything to detract attention from himself. He made himself of what? No reputation. No reputation. Had he set himself on high, taking advantage of every miracle he performed, and had he secured for himself a place of great power and prominence and prestige, then, beloved, he would have been following the natural man line. But he did exactly the opposite of this. It was his holy life that marked him out as the Son of God. The Spirit of holiness. He was marked out according to that Spirit. His life was a lonely one. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he opened not his mouth. 
He did everything just opposite to what man would do. It is not simply, beloved, that he behaved himself differently than other men. He was radically different from you and I in that in him there was no sin and there was no natural impulse toward sin. You and I have the natural impulse toward sin. It is resident in every one of us here this morning. Whether you are redeemed or not redeemed, there is within you indwelling sin. If you are unredeemed, it has complete control of you. Oh, by some great effort on your part, you might somehow win some battle over some problem or sin in your life, even as a natural man. But sin controls the natural man. But to the redeemed man, though he now has the Holy Spirit dwelling within his breast, he also still has indwelling sin within him. So that there is a continual conflict in his being. Paul says that there is a war in my members the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And so there is this constant warfare going on in the child of God's heart. In the child of the world, sin is not exceedingly sinful. Paul says of himself, when Christ came in, sin became exceedingly sinful. The things that you could do before, after you came to Christ, they seem so much more terrible. And if you fell into a sin, the exactly same sin, the exact same sin that you sinned before you were saved, it didn't bother you. After you're saved, it should crush you. In fact, it cannot help but crush you if you're saved. Because in the first place, there is no grief like the grief of the Holy Spirit. Just as there is no love in the human heart like the love of the Holy Spirit. You see it in people's eyes and in their very demeanor. It shines through them. The body should merely be a transparent covering for the love which emanates from the heart of the true believer who has received the Holy Spirit into their breast. And so just as there's no love like the love that Jesus places in our breast when he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, after we've been cleansed from sin, he gives us that glorious gift of his Holy Spirit, then love can be shed abroad in your heart like you never knew it before, to the children, to your husband, to your wife, and to a dying world. You never knew how to love before until Jesus came into your heart. And it's the same, beloved. Also remember, concerning the joy that comes into the heart and also the grief that comes into the heart. 
The Word of God says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Because, beloved, if the Christian falls into sin and grieves the Holy Spirit, you will experience a grief like you never knew before you were saved. If you thought you knew what sorrow was before you were saved, you had no idea of what could be if you disobeyed your Savior and the Lord of your life. For Jesus Christ not only wants to be Savior, you cannot separate Jesus' Savior from the Lordship of Christ. It's an impossibility. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only high potentate over all the earth. And when he redeemed you, he purchased you and bought you, and you are not your own. You've been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, just as there is no love like the Holy Spirit gives to the breast of a man who's really redeemed, and when I hear people speak of what love really is, there's only one way you'll ever know that kind of love, and that's the love that Christ puts into the heart, agape, the love of God. There are other loves, the filial love, which is brotherly love, the eros love, which is passionate love and fleshly love, but for any soul to know the love of God, it is agape. That is the love that Jesus puts in the human heart that transcends all other loves and cannot hate any human heart, any human being. Lost or saved, black or white, makes no difference. Impossible. Because the love of Jesus has been placed in your heart. And so the grief that we bring to the Holy Spirit can crush us. We should know that we're redeemed this morning and that the Holy Spirit dwells within our breast. And that this Jesus that dwells within us is radically different from what we ever were before. He is the divine Son of God, and He's made us a new creation, a new creature. And all things have passed away, and everything, all things have become new to us. And so this is the redemption, the gospel of God, that we have within our breast. Now Paul begins in this epistle, with himself as the called servant of God. You notice that. The called servant of God. Called an apostle. A called apostle of God. But within five verses, he has brought together the whole church into a grand and glorious we in verse 5. The church is not one individual or a group of individuals with some sectarian name attached to it. The church is a called-out collective community that has been placed by faith into the body of Jesus Christ, and he is the head of that body. We've been born again by the Holy Spirit into the very family of God. And we can know that those who really are part of this family are the blood brothers and the blood sisters of each of us through the blood of Jesus Christ and are more blessed to us than any member of our fleshly family who is unredeemed because the members of the divine family of God will be with us through all eternity. 
brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This being in the body of Christ is a very complex organism, if I might say. We're all members, let's say, of the body of Christ. You and I are members. This gospel of God has brought us into this glorious membership. He says in the fifth verse, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. This is the calling of God to you and to me. It's a complex organism. Together we have received Christ into our breast. Together we have Receive this grace, this unmerited favor which redeems the soul in the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says we're called to grace and apostleship. Apostle means a sent one. We're not only called by his grace to be redeemed ourselves. That is completely selfish, as precious as it is, and as wonderful as it is. But, beloved, this is not the will of God concerning you. The will of God concerning you is that when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. So we're called to grace and apostleship, to be sent ones. We're together, both young and old, preacher and people. We're one in the body of Jesus Christ, male and female. We're one with a divine purpose placed in our breast by Jesus Christ that we should bear fruit for him. Now let me say this, that this, this great organism is a very complex one. It has a variety of members. And just as our own body is very complex, with all of its millions of corpuscles, it's miles of blood vessels, all of the different organisms, all working one with the other. And if one little one goes out of joint, isn't it terrible? Why, you can get a pinprick in your hand and a little infection sets in and your whole body is miserable. It just, just doesn't affect your finger, does it? If it only affected the finger, that would be an easy thing. But it affects the whole body. It is a complex organism, this body we possess. Each organ relies upon the other. Each has a relationship to the other. And so it is in the body of Christ. There's a variety of members. And each member is a member one of another, the Scripture says. And we're to work in conjunction with each other. Just to be that joy of heart in our labors for Jesus together. The human body, with all of these seemingly endless miles, even the scientist or the doctor has not yet searched the depths of the human body. But God has in his church called together all these various personalities, all kinds of characters. The dope addict, the harlot, the rich man, the poor man, the educated, the uneducated, all of these he has called out by his Holy Spirit and has them brought together to blend them into one body in Jesus Christ 
and it's to be a joyous body filled with love for each other, every member working in its proper place, as Paul says in Corinthians, each one functioning properly, every joint supplying the need so that the whole body works together. That's what we're to be, a perfect body together. Now, there are shortcomings. And just as there are shortcomings in your body, there are shortcomings in the body of Christ. I wish I could say to you that everybody that's ever been joined to the church, which is the body of Christ, is a perfect body. Everything just is perfect and rolls along well. This gospel of God has come and separated us from the world. We're thankful we're called of God. God's called us out and placed us together. We're thankful for this. But we would have to say truthfully, beloved, that there is nothing this side of heaven that is perfect. You're not perfect as a person. You're as imperfect as the next person. You may look at somebody and say, I don't know why they can't be different. Leave them alone. Let them be what God wants them to be. If they're ornery and cranky, if they're miserable and unhappy, pray for them. Don't criticize them. They're part of the same body. They're part member of Jesus Christ's body of his flesh and of his bones, the scripture says, and it says he is the head of the body. And we're to respond to the head because from the head goes all of the impulses out to the body so that they every member is directed exactly as God wants it to be directed. In that body, may I say this, there are no such things as a rejection mechanism in the body of Christ. We often hear, you know, in the world, they do a transplant, and they transplant a heart. But there is a rejection mechanism in our physical body. And the rejection mechanism refuses to accept this new heart that's come in. So that today, it's true that practically all heart transplants have been given up. You remember in the great excitement in the beginning, all kinds of people were going to get heart transplants. But there are so many rejection mechanisms that they have practically stopped in heart transplants until they find a better method or somehow a way that there will not be a rejection of that which is transplanted into another body. But in the body of Christ, there is no rejection mechanism. Whether the person is black or white or red or yellow, it doesn't make a bit of difference. There's no rejection mechanism. Remember that Paul says, we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And all he's saying is we've been translated out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And there is no rejection. There are churches that have a rejection mechanism. They set up a bar against the black. They set up a bar against the yellow. They set up restrictions that would hold out. And I'm speaking of a great body of the Christian church and unfortunately, it bears the name Baptist, which troubles me a great deal. That deny the right of any human being 
who was purchased in the blood of Jesus, membership in the church of Jesus Christ. Almost as though there is still the day where the buses or the cars had the whites in one and the blacks in another and the separation in the church is the same. God deliver us from such a church. There is no rejection mechanism in the body of Jesus. Jesus only deals with man. Man the sinner. Man the one who needs redemption. Man the one who needs the blood of Christ to cleanse us from sin. Man is man. We have placed up the distinguishing barriers. God never said the black man was a slave. Men said they were slaves. God never set up and put any man into a position where he was not equal at the cross, at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Whether he's black or white or red or yellow or any mixture of colors, it makes no difference. At the foot of the cross, every single one are sinners and every single one need redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is no rejection mechanism in the body of Jesus and I praise God for it. That's why we're here as a church. We believe we're part of the true church. We believe we've been born again of the Spirit of the living God. We believe that Jesus' blood and righteousness has cleansed us from sin. We believe that any righteousness we possess was given to us because of the gospel of God concerning His dear Son. God is concerned about His Son, not about me, except in the love He has for the world that they might receive His Son. But God is honoring his Son, and His Son alone. And beloved, there is to be within us an understanding of what it means to be redeemed, that there is only one true God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and redemption is not available anywhere else in all the universe except in Jesus Christ, without whom nothing was made that was made, whether they be things in heaven or things in earth. All things were made by Him and for Him, and by him all things consist. And God hath appointed a day in which he shall judge the secrets of all men's hearts by this one man, Christ Jesus, and no one else. I'm sick of reading about the churches that have changed their whole doctrinal setup. My Baptist brethren, if I can call them brethren, and I doubt some of them are, but the Baptists in many areas have adopted things that are far from divine truth and have cast Jesus Christ out as the very Son of God, the Redeemer of the world, the virgin-born one, the sinless one, the one who arose from the grave bodily, not in spirit, and is coming again bodily to this earth. Cast him out. I couldn't help but think I'd feel sorry for a man that I met when my son graduated from Westminster. I met him at that time and had a long talk with him. He had the address at that graduation from Westminster. He was president of the Missouri Synod of the Lutheran Church. 
At that time when I talked to him, I asked him and I said, tell me, Dr. Proust, what has happened to your Lutheran church? And he looked at me and he said, I have a great conflict to battle. He said, because Missouri Synod always had a reputation for holding up the sovereignty of God and salvation and the priesthood of all believers and the redemption there is in Christ Jesus and that Christ Jesus is the only Son of God, the divinely born one. But he said, a great war has been given into my hands. And he said, the whole Concordia Seminary, the third largest in the United States, graduating more Protestant ministers, the third one, he said, they're warring against me. And practically all the young, all, he said, if I might call them the liberals, are against me. Well, yesterday I read this in the paper. I cut it out. It's by another minister. Here's what he says. President Nixon should be interested to learn that one of his White House guest preachers, whom he hailed as one of our great Lutheran leaders, has now announced, now listen, and he says this with his tongue in cheek, you can tell from what he says later, he has now announced, we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and that all who die without faith in him are eternally damned. Nixon's great Lutheran leader is the Reverend J.A.O. Proust, president of the three-million-member Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, whose embattled liberals taking cognizance of President Proust's initials as well as his methods of leadership have now coined the phrase Freedom Now with Chairman Zhao instead of Mao. Proust's target has been the third largest theological seminary in the nation, Concordia. After two years of this hilarious holy inquisition which he has had he has now brought forth a mouse in the unsuccessful attempt to fire and to suppress the teaching rights of just one of Concordia's 50 professors Dr. Ellen because Dr. Ellen denied the existence of a personal devil and the existence of angels. And if there's no personal devil, beloved, then you don't have any personal sin. In addition to the medieval antics of President Proust, notice this, medieval antics, 
he will find himself coming up for re-election in July of 1973 at New Orleans Convention in a denomination which he has significantly, significantly caused to live up to the familiar nickname of Misery Senate. Now this is the judgment of man. He has said, notice what he said, President Nixon would like to know that the man that he invited to the White House whom he considered one of the great Lutheran leaders, now believes, as though something new had happened, now believes that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and that all who do not believe in him are damned eternally. Well, I want to tell you something. It's an absolute truth. Because if God be God, and if Christ be God, and if Christ is the only one who's eternal, then where else do you get eternal life? In him was life. And that life was the light of men. But men chose darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. Jesus says, He that believeth not that I am he, shall die in their sins, for I and my Father are one. So, beloved, this gospel of God that we believe in, we better be ready to defend with all our hearts. This gospel of God that has brought you and me by faith in Jesus Christ into a single body should be seen in this church and emanated in the holiest of love any group have ever had for each other. It's not a time for the fundamentalist to battle a fundamentalist. It's a time for those who really believe with all their hearts the essential doctrines of our faith, whether they be Lutheran or Presbyterian or Baptist or Methodist, I don't care who they are, if they believe the essential doctrines of this faith that we stand for, the virgin-born Son of God as God manifest in the flesh, the sovereign God saying this is the way a man must be saved by faith without the works of the law, let that man be Anathema, a curse from God. That's what Paul said. Paul says, if any man come to you and preach unto you any other gospel, and then he says, which is not another gospel, let him be anathema. And then he goes on and he says, and I say again, if any man preach unto you any other gospel, what is the gospel? The good news that Jesus Christ came in any other gospel. What is the gospel? The good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save you and to save me. Young person, older person, mother, dad, sons, or daughters, what difference? There's no generation gap between us. And the reason is that Christ Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the same to every single living soul upon the face of this earth and out through all the universe. There's no other divine, 
only begotten Son of God. He's the only begotten Son of God. And I couldn't help but think how little we know. I listened to Walter Cronkite when the men landed on the, on the moon. And he said this. He said, once more we have the opportunity of adding a little bit of knowledge to the slim line of knowledge that we have about this universe. Slim line. And I couldn't help but think yesterday when I listened to the radio and they said that the scientists had now discovered a new planet. Planet X. Three times bigger than Saturn. Six billion miles away from Earth. Goes around the sun once every 600 years. It would take man 300 years speeding at the speed they traveled to go to the moon to get there. We think we know so much. This grand, glorious universe, isn't it wonderful to know God made it all? And it's so wonderful to know it's revealed to us and one day we're going to have the joy of being with him and seeing that I have never seen nor ear heard the glories which God hath prepared for them that love him. God has revealed them to us by his spirit. He says, don't you see all that man is finding out about this universe? One day I'm going to reveal it to you all multiplied a million times. They don't know anything yet. It's a slim line of knowledge. But the gospel of God, by faith, we understand what? That the world, the worlds were made by God. And that this glorious gospel that we have received is not only, beloved, just for us as individuals, but it is for a universe that one day it will all be given to Jesus Christ who is the heir of all things everywhere in this universe. And then says to us and looks down to us in love and says, and you are joint heirs with me of it all. Isn't that great? Hmm? What are you worrying about? So your bank isn't packed with money? Living's getting a little harder? Food prices are skyrocketing. You can't eat as much porterhouse or sirloin or something like you used to. You have to lower it. Don't get sick over it. You've got a lot to look forward to that the world... Listen, they'll go through all the pangs of all this, having nothing and seeing everything fading away. But you, ah, the worse it gets here, the brighter it gets up there. Isn't that great? The brighter it gets. And Jesus is coming soon. Let's pray.